The reading this morning is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and can be found on page 1187 in the Church Bibles or 1870 in the large print version. So, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, starting at verse 6. It's entitled, Timothy's Encouraging Report. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, a uh, real welcome from me too, and uh, to you if you're watching from home. Lovely to have you with us. Um, just do, do get 1 Thessalonians open if you can in front of you. Uh, because we'll be looking it up. It's uh, page 1187, if you haven't got it open yet. So grab a Bible. If you're sitting on the chairs, do come forward. Don't be embarrassed to, to grab a Bible and take a look. Well, sent and encouraged is, the, is our title today because this is um, really clear from our passage that we're talking about how we have been sent and how we are encouraged, how Paul is encouraged especially. Let's, let's um, first of all, have, have a conversation. You've already got to know your neighbours a little bit, so I'd like you to just have uh, a quick chat with somebody next to you. If you don't know them and you want to just hide your head and look kind of introverted, that's fine too. Uh, but I wonder what sort of things make you feel encouraged? How do you... Um, uh, end up saying to somebody, oh, I felt so encouraged. What sort of thing does that for you? Have a think and have a chat. Hmm. I hope that's led to some interesting conversations. You might finish off a bit later. I'm going to pray now. So uh, let's Let's uh, quieten down a little. <laughs> Lord, thank you that uh, you encourage us and you use us to encourage others. And, and we pray, Father, today that we'd learn um, something more 
about your heart for us as a church particularly, that you'd show us something new uh, from this passage. Thank you for your word, Lord, and help us to receive it with open hearts and honesty. Amen. Well, the story so far, in case you haven't been able to join us until today, is that about 2,000 years ago, this really happened, it's a true story, a religious Jewish man called Saul had started persecuting those who believed that Jesus was the true saviour of the world, the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for, uh, until he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus himself, which involved being dramatically suddenly blinded by bright light when all the people around him weren't, and then healed so that he could see again, and he became a Christian himself, changed his name to Paul, and he started to travel to plant churches of believers around the Mediterranean. One of those churches was in Thessalonica, in northern Greece, right at the top of the picture, and um, it's still there today. As you can see, Google Maps recognises it. And uh, he ended up in another town via a few other places, but he ended up in, in another town. Oh, it's giving us a couple of options about the different ways we might walk from Thessalonica to Corinth. Um, uh, it's going to take you quite a long time. So it's, he ended up a long way south in Corinth and probably wrote this letter that we've just been reading to the people in Thessalonica. Um, now... Like anyone who's ever invested a lot in a plant, and looking around, I know there are a few of you out there who are very keen gardeners. Um, if you then had to plant it and go away for a long time straight afterwards, you'd want to know how the plant is doing. Is it growing? Uh, does it have enough water? Is there enough sunshine? Is it suffering from drought or flood? And uh, are there outside influences like weeds uh, growing up and uh, threatening it? Or like our oh, box hedge completely decimated by the dreaded box hedge moth. And, but anyway, um, to check it out, he sends his young friend Timothy, who then returns with a report, which we've just heard Paul talking about in that passage and the, the fact is that his work with them has turned out to be really, really worthwhile. Even though they had faced great persecution, the sort of persecution that Paul himself, when he was Saul, would have been the instigator of. But here, and this is where this letter so far comes to a great crescendo, they have survived amazingly well. Not just survived, but actually thrived. The plant is not just living, but it's growing. And because I was speaking today on being encouraged, let me just wake up my phone, I thought I'd try and keep a record during the week of things that have encouraged me. And um, perhaps you talked about some of those just now. I tried to write something every day. I didn't manage it entirely every day, but uh, as I just tell you what's on my list, please bear in mind what I do every day for my job. And uh, 
you might have completely different encouragements, which might perhaps be like my mother actually encouraged me today, my mother actually complimented me, or my boss noticed my existence for the first time in five years. Um, well, these are what mine include. Um, first of all, a whole load of new people taking welcome packs last Sunday. Number two, somebody thanking me for something I did. Three, seeing Mel get ordained last Saturday. Four, a group of people in the hub cheerfully forgiving us for locking them out the week before. <laughs> Five, a team meeting with Nico and the pastors beginning to see new vision. Six, space in my day to start reading a new book. The content of that book encouraging me in my thinking about God. Seven, some of you, I expect, are thinking, what, we don't pay her to have space in her day to read books? But anyway, I think you do a bit. Um, number seven, a better understanding of what has happened in my life recently and how God would use it. Eight, some people I've been praying for who are beginning to see the next step they need to take. Nine, an answer to prayer about someone coming out of hospital. Ten, reading the prayer letters of new beginnings and exploring anxiety and depression. If you want one of those, you could see Colin afterwards. Uh, number 11, my Pilates teacher telling me I'd done well, considering I'd had two months off. Uh, number 12, 16 people praying earnestly for Hope for Malawi on Tuesday evening, five of them joining from their holidays. Number 13, answers to prayer for people in hospital. 14, seeing my grandchildren again and finding that they hadn't actually forgotten me. 15, getting some clear guidance from God about something. 16, a specific personal encouragement from a colleague. And 17, last one, a really interesting discussion in our women's study group about loving the unlovely. Well, that was my list. I wonder what yours would be. Um, working in Frith the Chemist in Cheam when I was a teenager... People used to come in and ask for Sanatogen tonic wine. I don't know if you've ever come across this thing, but they sometimes looked a little bit embarrassed about asking for it or sort of slightly um, hesitant, maybe. I think you can still buy it. And it's got an awful lot of alcohol in it. Um, and I am definitely not endorsing it. Hear that loud and clear. Uh, but I imagine that the admin behind the product, and briefly I was, I've been one of those as well, would like people to think that it would boost their energy dramatically. It's the sort of thing I feel Paul, after his operation, probably should have. But anyway, being encouraged is rather like that getting a much-needed booster shot. And you know that yourselves, don't you? When you've gone away and felt, oh, you feel great if somebody encourages you. And it could be encouragement in a number of different ways. It has the opposite effect to believing the lies that we often believe about ourselves. And as I say, you don't need me to tell you that encouragement is a good thing. Here's what one person's said about it. Oh, no. It's not what somebody says about it. Have I missed one? No, I haven't. Somewhere here, 
Let me just flick through. I've lost my, my, that slide somewhere. And I haven't even... Oh, yes, I have. I've got it on here. Just bear with me. This is what somebody said. This is um, John Maxwell. He's an American pastor and an author on leadership. And he says this. A word of encouragement from a teacher to a child can change a life. A word of encouragement from a spouse can save a marriage. A word of encouragement from a leader can inspire a person to reach their potential. Encouragement is really important. Let's see first what Paul counts as an encouragement as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. And then later we'll, we'll set Paul, St Paul's Howell Hill against it and see how we measure up because we're studying this letter of Paul's to learn more about how we can be the kind of church, the kind of community which thinks much more about its purpose than it does about its comfort. So what is it that has lifted Paul's spirits so much? What has set his mind at rest? And what makes the church of Thessalonica such a good witness? Well, first of all, in verse 6, he says, we've got good news about your faith and love. They're strong in faith and abounding in love. And they haven't, after all, been resentful about Paul leaving in a hurry, because he did have to leave quite quickly. Um, but instead, they're just keen to see him. They have good memories of him. I was amused. I don't know if you feel like this about the word pleasant, but I feel it's a bit of a bland word when you say it's a pleasant experience. It doesn't feel very enthusiastic, does it? But actually, the word in Greek and, um, is actually the word for good. Simply, they've got good memories of him. So there's mutual love and respect being shared here. Sometimes we do believe lies, don't we? We all too easily assume the worst. We assume that somebody else thinks the worst of us. Paul seems to have been anxious about the Thessalonians. Perhaps you've had that experience yourself. Uh, when there's tremendous relief, when it turns out that all your fears are unfounded and in fact sown there by the devil. It's made even worse if we've uh, been going through troubles at the time. And like Paul, in great distress and under persecution himself, hearing some good news for a change was like a drink of tonic wine, but much better. So much so that he says in verse 8, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Well, that's pretty extreme language, isn't it? To say that I was, I was dying before when I felt you were, your faith was struggling and, and, and the church was dying. But now we really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. Hearing how solid the plant is rooted, standing firm and tall despite the wind and the weeds, has made him feel alive. It just shows, doesn't it, how passionate Paul was about the mission he'd been given. The mission, this good news 
to pass on the good news that Jesus is the saviour of the world. His feelings and even his faith were boosted by knowing that the Thessalonians were pressing in on the same faith, building the kingdom of God together with him. And he's overflowing with gratitude to God as a result. We read in verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you? The news from the newly planted church is great news. And I wonder, would we be rejoicing as much as Paul is? Are we as passionate about God's kingdom as he was? When you listen to my list of encouragements, I'm sure you didn't feel quite the same about them as me. They weren't the same things. I'm sure you're not troubled about whether I'm good or not at Pilates. Um, to, to earnestly long, though, um, sorry, but they're the same things that encouraged me won't encourage you, and, and maybe vice versa. The things that encouraging you may not encourage me, but um, that's okay. Uh, but as we listen to what encouraged Paul, the growing of the gospel so that many others were being saved by Jesus, that is what we should all be encouraged by. We should all feel challenged to feel that same passion, to earnestly long for others to know this same good news and to throw a kind of spiritual party when we hear it, to praise God, to give thanks. Instead of Perhaps our human reaction might be feeling jealous that we weren't there at the time or resenting the attention going somewhere other than on ourselves and our own achievements. Or we might be tempted to try and dig up a criticism to spoil the joy, to water down the enthusiasm, the joy that somebody else is experiencing as they see God blessing what they've been doing. All of those reactions which may be part of our natural fallen selves, are used by the enemy to bring us down, to destroy the work that God is doing through the church, to trample the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in other people's lives. So how does St. Paul's Hal Hill measure up? Are we the sort of church that is growing despite the pressures on us not to? Are we getting choked by weeds or blown over by stormy gales? Or are we standing tall because our roots are deep in the word of God and the sap of the spirit flowing through us, producing fruit? Would the people who helped plant this church, and we are a church plant, 60 years ago, would they be rejoicing in our growth? Would we be cheered on by them uh, because of what love and faith we have? It's a good question to ask. Perhaps you might like to chew that over in your life groups this week or other small groups you're part of. And if the answer is we do well some of the time, but not all of the time, then we need some help, don't we? What can we do to become more Thessalonian? First of all, not get discouraged by troubles. And I know, because I know some of you really well, that you've been through the most awful troubles, terrible troubles. 
And it's all very well to say, keep trusting God, as I've written up there. But we need the support of one another, don't we, in order to keep trusting God, despite what we're going through. We need to know that God loves us so much that he grieves with us and travels with us through those hard times. We need to be certain that even if our reaction to our troubles is grumbling and complaining and, uh, and fear and, and fright, that God holds out his hand and helps us uh, step back into the boat. And secondly, we need to pray night and day. Just like Paul says in verse 10, praying at night and day for you. We pray most earnestly. And thirdly, don't believe the lies of God's enemy, the devil. And it's worth taking a short detour here to remind ourselves that we are in a spiritual battle. Let's just take a look. Here's what Jesus says about his arch enemy. He says, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Other writers. Ah, again, my slideshow seems to have been mangled. I wonder whether the, the grandchildren got to it. Uh, it's not fair to blame them, is it? But, um, and I haven't written, yes, I have written down what the other said. Let's go back to my phone. Sometimes it saves us, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> here we are. C.S. Lewis wrote this. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. We have an enemy. Don't let anyone tell you there is no such thing as the devil or God's enemy, Satan. There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. And then much more recently, that was C.S. Lewis, much more recently, John Mark Comer, a number of us are reading his books at the moment. He says this, Jesus sees our primary war against the devil as a fight to believe truth over lies. So back to where we were, working out how we can be more Thessalonians, Thessalonian, um, let's, let's become by our faith and love an encouragement to others. Let's learn how to consciously encourage others and let's be the kind of church that is fruitful because we believe and have faith and because we love. I think that St. Paul's is pretty good at encouraging on the whole. That's my own personal experience. Some of you may have had a very different experience, but it's something we need to keep working on, don't we? It's not something we can rest on our laurels and think, oh, we're okay with that. We need to keep becoming more encouraging. We need to be like that because we love. And so I want to ask you today, what does love look like for you? What does it look like 
where you're, when you're confronted with someone you haven't spoken to for weeks or maybe years because of a misunderstanding. What does that love look like for you? What does love look like to you when somebody else has made assumptions about you that are not true? How do you deal with that? How do you tackle it with love, not with pure defensiveness? And what does love look like to you when you're tempted to pass on information or an opinion about someone else? When you're tempted to gossip, in other words. What does love look like when you're in that situation? All these and many more besides are daily challenges for us, aren't they? But God calls us and wants us to be, be an encouragement instead of a pain in the neck. Well, you know preachers who give a long introduction, maybe even this one sometimes. Uh, well, Paul, like them, has spent three whole chapters in this letter telling the church how thankful he is about them, what's encouraged him about them. And he's about to start giving them some very specific instructions, some teaching about living as Christians and living as Christians who share their faith, Christians who are on mission. So if you think that's what St. Paul's is, why we're here this morning, then come back next week and the weeks after for more. But because he launches into that, sorry, before he launches into that, he prays a prayer. And it's a truly heartfelt prayer for the family that he loves so much. And that is uh, from verse 11 to verse 13. And I thought it would be good for us, to, as we close, as I close, to pray this prayer for one another. So here it is. I hope you can read it okay. And let's pray it out loud. Will you pray it with me? And if you feel it's appropriate to look around because you're praying it for one another, then do that too. You might not be able to read and look around at the same time, of course, but anyway, see what you can do. So, friends, church, may the Lord make your love for each other increase so much that it overflows to everyone else in the neighborhood. May the Lord make you strong in your inner being and in your beliefs so that you will resist evil and be shown to be holy when Jesus comes again. Amen.